0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney.
1: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is of course Marvel Entertainment. As for who the USAs in the show's title, I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my better half, at least as far as this podcast is concerned, is Marvel expert Aaron Adams. And given what's going on with movie ticket sales. Right now, there is no better time on this planet to be a Marvel expert. Aaron, did you see that story in the trades where if you combine what Black Panther, Avengers, and Deadpool have made to date, they now make up 31% of the total box office that's been generated in all of 2018? Wow. Let's face it, people are turning out for these films. Not just because they're Marvel fans, but also because the word is out that these are actually good movies. Deadpool, just this past weekend, three days, stateside, managed to pull in 125 million, and then 174 overseas, total of over $300 million in just three days worldwide in release which is kind of stunning. I feel that Deadpool 2 is
0: almost a palate cleanser of normal superhero movies because it's so crazy and vulgar and violent, but it's off the wall and breaks the fourth wall and all that stuff that it's just pokes fun at so many different things that, It's not heavy or serious and the whole world's in danger. It's kind of like you've been eating tea and crumpets for like the last week and now you're just rolling in mud to get the clean off of you. (laughs) If that makes sense.
1: Uh, No, 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 no. I get that. But I I have to ask you, if you are describing this film to friends, and it's, as always, out ahead of doing one of these shows, I'm knee-deep in the research, and it's fascinating. Nobody can quite decide what to call this. There are people who are calling it a superhero satire. There were people who were calling it an action comedy. Where would you set the dial? It's a Deadpool movie. <laughs> it is it is what it is. I mean,
0: okay. if, you, if you understand the character, you, you can expect the fourth wall to be broken several times. That's his gag. You can expect him to be over the top with violence and language. You can expect him to be broken into little bits and then regrow little bits because that's part of his Wolverine factor that he's got, the ability to heal so that's always there I mean it's very much exactly a Deadpool movie and if you love the first one you'll really enjoy the second one I mean I've got friends that were on one side of the fence or the other they're either it's better than the first one or no the first one was better but they both still greatly enjoyed the movie it's just a preference of which one did you like more because they're both really Deadpool movies, exactly what
1: they should be. For those of you who don't know the story of the the first Deadpool movie, this was something that Ryan Reynolds and Tim Miller sort of had to almost blackmail 20th Century Fox into doing. In fact, didn't they, when the studio said no, they had made that test in 2014 that they actually released online? Yeah, there was
0: only one of four people that could have released it. mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like Ryan Reynolds, the director, and like two of their friends or like producer or whatever that were working on it at that moment. And so only four people had the copy and then they released it online like, oops, don't know how that got out there. And then the fans went crazy and went, yes, we want this. And begrudgingly, Fox went, fine, give them a small pile of money.
1: When you say a small pile of money, I mean, yes, it was $58 million, but I think they actually spent more on advertising advertising. Once they realized, in fact, the other thing that, that I, I find hilarious is that when you look at what happened with the, the first film, that they actually they released it for Valentine's Day. A lot of the posters were making fun of the fact that, you know, take your sweetheart to see see Deadpool and, and really offend her. Did you happen to see all of the they were
0: in Walmart a lot? A lot of Fox movies. I think there were 12 of them that had Deadpool replacing the main actors on the covers of, like, Fight Club.
1: No! In fact, you sent me a note about this just prior to recording, and now I have to go to Walmart to check these things out. But, I mean, that's brilliant.
0: Everybody was buying them, and it was a fantastic mm-hmm. marketing move by Fox because there's a lot of these movies that are, like, a decade old. Mm-hmm. And all they did was put a slip cover over them of Deadpool replacing the main character in the pose of whatever that cover was. And it's funny, but people would end up buying all 12 of these movies just to have the slipcovers, and now they've sold millions of decade-old movies because
1: of a two-cent piece of cardboard. Wow, that is wild. Okay, but before we we start to get into the sort of the nitty-gritty, and trust me, you know, with Deadpool 2, it can get kind of gritty. Let's circle back to the news here, and again, you know, that we're both obviously tickled at, at how well Deadpool 2 is doing, but you can't overlook what's going on with both Infinity Wars and Black Panther. Black Panther continues its march. I mean, yes, it's basically burned itself out Stateside, and a lot of that is because, of course, the Blu ray and DVD is out on the market, but it's still doing well overseas. In fact, if you factor in the 646 million that it's made overseas to date, it's made 1.3 billion. Which, while Infinity Wars to date hasn't done as well as Black Panther did, I think today it finally broached the $600 million domestic barrier. And given that Black Panther is at 697 in fact, they're hoping, given some of the dollar houses and smaller theaters that Black Panther is still out in in some markets, that there's a shot that it will actually make it over $700 million domestic. But you know, the thing is, Infinity Wars overseas is doing insane business, Aaron. At this point, and it's still hard charging in a lot of territories. It's already at 1.2 billion, and that's strictly overseas ticket sales. You can combine domestic and international and worldwide. This thing is at 1.8 billion. That's just $200 million shy of what The Force Awakens made, and Mm -hmm. The Force Awakens is now the third highest-grossing film in Hollywood history. This is kind of an interesting space if you look at the top 10 worldwide films that did well worldwide right now, four of those spaces are Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. The Avengers Infinity Wars now sits in the number four spot. The original Avengers is in the number six spot with 1.5 billion. Avengers Age of Ultron is in the number eight spot with 1.4 billion. And like I said, Panther, which is still out there earning, at least overseas, just grabbed the number nine spot with 1.3 billion. And just because we're we're talking today about Deadpool, the original Deadpool, is kind of down in the pile. It currently sits in the 80th all-time worldwide earning position with 783 million worldwide. But remember, again, as we talked about, with a budget of 58 million dollars, this was one of the highest profit-returning films superhero films that that had ever been made which is one of the reasons why two years and three months later here comes the sequel Mm -hmm. just to put that in perspective two slots down in the 82nd position is guardians of the galaxy which made 773 million worldwide but given that that film cost upwards of 150 to 160 million dollars to make wasn't nearly as profitable as Deadpool. So we've talked about this in in previous shows. I want to say this up front, we're going to do a little looking back at Infinity Wars here because now that we're moving past that we have to start sort of talking about the movies that are coming. And, and among those is Spider-Man 2, which is now getting ready to start production. I, I don't know if you saw just earlier this week, they're starting to cast. And they've actually reached out to Jake Gyllenhaal to come play Mysterio. And when I immediately when I saw that, it's like all I could think of was that, do you remember... The art that got out there for Sam Raimi's version mm-hmm. of Spider-Man 4, there was going to be sort of this montage at the beginning of the film where he took on three and four of the villains, and among them was going to be Mysterio, but a kind of a pot-bellied, comical Mysterio, which when they took the helmet off, mm. was Bruce Campbell. You know, get in your, your classic Sam Raimi cameo. But... What I'm hearing is this is the scarier, more serious version of Mysterio? Do you think this is going to work? When
0: it comes to just about any Marvel movie, I build a set of expectations in my head, and every piece of news that they give me is exactly not what I would have thought. Mm -hmm. And I'm dumbfounded and confused, and in the end, it's always something that I enjoyed greatly more than what I could have possibly imagined. So I've given up on the whole trying to make sense of it sometimes aspect. Now, with that being said, they are trying to avoid reusing characters that were used in previous Sony. Spider-Man films, so that means no more goblins,
1: no Electro. Supposedly for Homecoming 2, they will be bringing back Michael Keaton's The Vulture, but I don't know, are we talking a glorified cameo, or are we talking... There is size? a
0: guy that had the shaved head and the scorpion tattoo that was part of the gang, and he showed up at the end credits. That's the guy that will end up becoming scorpion, so they've already laid a little bit of groundwork for that character to show up whenever they choose. And if they ever decide that they want to do something like a Sinister Six, they can't kill off their villains. They got to let them linger in the background for a little while so they can reassemble them later on.
1: Makes perfect sense. Now, I don't know if you saw the other bit of news about Homecoming, that kind of a departure. Because we tend to think of your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man who works in the boroughs. And for this film, Feige's revealed that... The gimmick is that Peter Parker, evidently the the Midtown School of Science and Technology, has a sister school in the UK. So he takes part in an exchange program. And so the character's going to London.
0: See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Never would have expected to see Spider-Man in London, yet here we are. First movie, I wanted him to be swinging from the skyscrapers of New York City, but he ends up on the George Washington Monument in D.C. You know, it's just like, I'm still waiting for him to get back to New York. Now he's going to London, and I'm, I'm along for the ride. Whatever you want to throw at me, I'll, I'll end up enjoying it, I'm sure.
1: Well, I'm very hopeful myself, given that we've got Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, who wrote the screenplay for the original Homecoming. Uh, they're working on the script for this. Likewise, John Watts, the guy who helmed the first film, he's back to direct the sequel, but what's so weird is Marvel Entertainment will put all of this information out, but then you ask you know, a seemingly innocent question like, will Peter Parker's friend Ned, uh, who's played by Jacob Batalon, and, and as I mentioned at the last show, has one of my favorite moments out of Infinity Wars. We're all going to die! Running up the bus, but get you know, so somebody asked, is he going to be in this movie? And suddenly it's like, I'm sorry, on advice of counsel, I can't answer that question. And evidently, If you give away that Ned is going to be in Spider-Man Homecoming 2, that somehow impacts Avengers 4? Mm. So, can't reveal that. Oddly enough, it's kind of the same situation with Letitia Wright's character, Shuri. At the end of Infinity Wars, we saw what happened to a lot of characters. We saw T'Challa, the Black Panther, go to dust, and they don't. Want to talk about Shuri at the moment? Because there's a lot of fan speculation out there right now that she may have to step in in the interim and become the next Black Panther. But speaking of Black Panther news, there was interesting story out there about Nate Moore, who was the producer of Black Panther. Remember how we were talking on the the earlier podcast about. Just because we've seen the toys out there, we know that in the original version of Infinity Wars, there was a moment where the Hulk was supposed to come busting out of that armor. Right. So, you know, this was a fairly fluid film right up until its release. Nate Moore was standing there. He's a longtime development executive at Marvel Studios, and more to the point, he's one of the producers of of Black Panther. And so here's his $1.3 billion worldwide film, and he suddenly realizes, wait a minute, The Russo brothers are going to kill Black Panther in Infinity Wars. And is this, in fact, going to potentially damage what could now be a film franchise for the company further on down the line? So evidently, Nate reaches out to Anthony and Joe and it's like, is it really essential for this story that... The Black Panther be killed or, or excuse me, again, turned to dust when when Thanos activates the Infinity Gauntlet.
0: Before you go on any further, I got to ask, is Mm -hmm. this guy aware of comic books in any way, shape or form? He knows that they can be written back into existence and that Spider-Man and the rest of the gang will since they have
1: movies on the slate, they're coming back. Don't get me wrong, Nate is already working on his next project, which is Captain Marvel, and we'll get to that in just a second, but in Nate's mind, and it's kind of intriguing when you talk to people at Marvel, they seem to think that the overlap between fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Marvel comic books isn't quite as big as you might think, and that... When people die in films that you kind of expect them, or at least some of them, to stay dead. And so that was the thing about the end of Infinity Wars. So many characters turned to dust. Did it have to be the Black Panther?
0: Absence makes the heart grow fonder.
1: And that's it exactly. You nailed it. What the Russo brothers evidently said to Mr. Moore is like, look this story has to have stakes. Yeah. And, you know, a character that the Marvel Cinematic Universe audience just fell in love with, and to have him taken out by this, that's a body blow. Yeah. And so it's like, how, how could you do that? It's like, well, you, maybe you want to come back, to, back for four and see how we undo it. Right. But speaking of Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet, mm-hmm. you saw... The Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the last episode of, of Season and, 5. And I've I'm got bad. the
0: exact same question you do.
1: Okay, <laughs>
0: go ahead. Say it.
1: Go ahead. You know, we're all thinking it. Yeah, w- so.
0: why is all the teams still there? Why didn't half of them turn to dust? You know, why uh, Why did they get lucky in the Thanos lottery
1: this is the thing if you watch the last three episodes uh, of that show thanos came up multiple times yeah um so that once again they were playing they were part of the cinematic universe card but again like you said for some weird reason they were all immune to be honest there's a lot of people who frankly never mind about half the team disappearing there's a lot of people even at abc who are surprised that that show got a renewal and uh, honestly Aaron, all of the other renewals were done by friday of the previous week and it wasn't until monday tuesday right that they they announced it okay so agents of shield is coming back for one more season i mean that was a very 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 late in the game decision and even then it wasn't a full order they got a, a 13 episode pickup And again, normally previous seasons, they've gotten 22 episodes. It's not going to run during the normal broadcast year. They they flat out said, look, this is the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or barring any ridiculous rating surge. But they're doing these last 13 episodes as sort of a cap for the series. And Mm -hmm. as to why the show did get picked up and got picked up late, the Wall Street Journal had an interesting article about this earlier this week that they said, basically, the show, and I'm quoting here, show never lived up to expectations on ABC, but it does well on Netflix. And it has international appeal that justifies keeping it around, said a senior ABC executive. And, of course, Marvel is owned by Disney. So media companies these days now see the global content market as a driver of their business. And the fact that they made this sort of last-minute reprieve thing going on Again, Wall Street Journal. ABC still doesn't want Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to be a drag on its fall schedule anymore. So the next and final season is scheduled for next summer when TV viewership tends to decline. Why not Mm -hmm.
0: cancel it from ABC and then throw it over to Netflix and have them treat it in a bit more not quite so squeaky clean, family friendly ABC fashion, but a little bit more dirty
1: Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Luke Cage sort of Netflix way? Interesting that you bring this up. Next year, two thousand nineteen, we're going to see the start of the Disney streaming service—the very thing you hit upon. Let's do a grittier take, because face it, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, and and the like have been doing very well over uh, on Netflix. This may be part of that play. I also, frankly, heard from a friend at Disney that one of the things that factored into the decision to pushing this supposedly final season of agents of shield to the summer is that it's a get out of jail free card in regards to the whole thanos storyline sure by the time they come back and remember that infinity wars was originally supposed to open the first week of may and wound up getting pushed ahead one week to april 27th and the smart money right now is that when Avengers 4 finally opens next year, that they're gonna do the same thing. Right now it's slated to open May 3rd, 2019, but the smart money is that they'll push it to go earlier. And that way, Agents of Field comes back in the field and the whole Thanos issue has been resolved and we know who survived the film and who they should be referencing and that sort of thing. And so they can effectively start with a clean slate. But a fun little side note here also, I don't know who it was that either ABC television or Marvel Studios is a a fan of Stephen Sondheim, the songwriter, but when Phil Coulson gave his toast to the team that, here's to us who's like us, damn few, that's the opening stanza to this great Sondheim song called Old Friends from a failed but often revived Sondheim musical called Merrily Roll Along. So I just thought it was kind of a, a nice touch. But what did you think about how they ended it? I mean, here's Phil after having the brain implant that he thought he spent time at Tahiti, and here and he and May are finally there. And
0: The way that they ended the overall season, it felt very much like it could be the end of the overall show because it didn't have a cliffhanger to mm-hmm. lead you into, you know, next season we've got this. Mm-hmm. So the way that they handled Colson getting off the plane and actually being in Tahiti was a nice touch. The fact that May was right there by his side kind of made the heart swell just a little bit extra and that was a nice fluffy moment. The thing that happens with Fitz I didn't expect to happen to Fitz the yeah. way that it did. But um, then after I had gotten over what had happened to Fitz that shall not be named, um I was mm-hmm. kind of disappointed that they had almost undone that moment with a line of dialogue.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit that did kind of undercut the emotion. And yeah. But speaking of saying goodbye to somebody who won't go away, I, I love what Clark Gregg is done with Agent Coulson from Iron Man going forward, but we haven't seen the last of him because he's he's right now shooting Captain Marvel. And In fact, they were talking with him as part of the end of the season of Agents of Shield about well what's the difference between what you're doing now and uh, what you're doing on Captain Marvel? And he says, Well, you gotta understand that at this point Phil's a new guy at Shield. He's a lot younger. It's the earliest we've ever seen him and so and he says to hey, Mr. Stark, this isn't my first rodeo in Iron Man with Captain Marvel, maybe this is the rodeo that he was talking about. So also uh, touching on Captain Marvel and again circling back Nate Moore, the gentleman who was trying to persuade the Russo brothers not to kill Black Panther. He was talking with Cinema Blend earlier this month, and they were talking about Captain Marvel, and of course this is gonna be an origin film and, and let's face it, origin films tend to follow sort of a, a same path and what Moore said is that what they're genuinely trying to do as they're coming out of in this moment of Infinity Wars and setting up what's next in the cinematic universe, they decided to go with Captain Marvel. They they wanted to do her origin story in a way that feels unexpected and hopefully keeps audiences off balance. So. And speaking of which, I know you've talked about this, Aaron, which is why I really wanted to make you aware of this, what Bob Iger is saying, that between the original Deadpool in 2016 and what we saw last year with Logan, which, by the way, Logan made $619 million worldwide last year. And and of course, what Deadpool 2 is doing right now, the question has come up to Bob Iger, of course, the gentleman who's okayed that, you know, $60 billion acquisition of Fox's film and television assets. About Fox has launched this series of R rated Marvel Studios films that have done quite well. And of course, this is the Walt Disney Company that's now buying these assets from Fox. And are you going to continue to stick with this mostly family friendly PG stuff? And I to his credit, again, he's clearly listening to you, Aaron. He says, we think that there might be an opportunity for a Marvel R brand for something like Deadpool. As long as we let the audience know what's coming, I think we can manage that just fine. So the thing that you were hoping for, it looks like Disney's actually going to embrace. Marvel did that as a comic book company
0: years ago with Marvel Knights, and it was a bit more adult. And part of the realization is when you've been telling the same, well, not really the same stories, but when a character evolves over years and decades, and also your readers grow up over those years and decades, you have a point of evolution available to you to where your characters can grow up with your audience. And so what happens is it kind of stems off to the side, and it's like, okay, here's an adult version of Daredevil that's a lot more bloody and violent and it has more moral consequences or moral choices that have to be made in the story and then they'll separate and have a little bit more squeaky clean daredevil title that runs alongside of it so they can appease both a newer generation of younger kids and then older fans that don't mind things that are a little bit darker and more realistic in tones of violence in those worlds. I'm glad that Disney is able to see because I thoroughly enjoy rolling in the filth of Deadpool you know it it was just because it was not squeaky clean in any way shape or form it was just pure rolling in the muck and I like that as like a palate cleanser from everything else we've had not that anything we've had previously is bad it's just this is a different flavor of that ice cream and I like ice cream so I like all kinds of flavors of it
1: okay now speaking of which folks just before we go to break here, I have to stress that when we get back, we're going to get to have an in-depth discussion of an R-rated movie. And, and given that that there are younger members of the family who who listen to Marvel Us Disney, I just want to give you a heads up that we're going to talk a little bit about some of the raunchier aspects of this. So if you don't want to, the tiny ears to hear these sort of things, you might want to tune out now. But but whatever the case is, Aaron and I will be talking about this after we get back for the break. Okay, let's talk Deadpool 2. Aaron, so superhero satire, action comedy, what did we think? I really enjoyed it.
0: I did enjoy the first Deadpool. This is a very easy decision to make for a viewer. If you saw the first Deadpool and you liked it, go see Deadpool 2. If you saw the advertisements and you said, this is not for me, and it's totally against me because it's just ugly and vulgar and vile, feel free to stay away from Deadpool too because it's much of the same. It seems a little bit slow at times when Deadpool is having an honest human emotion, but that's mainly because of the 100 mile per hour humor that's slung at you throughout the film in comparison. So It's like when it does slow down a little bit, it actually feels like it slows down a lot, but that's not really the reality of it. It's just the perception. Deadpool 2 has a lot of crazy violence and very, very uncomfortable body contortions. So if you've ever seen those movies where like a limb twists in a way that it's not supposed to twist and you go, ooh, there's a lot of that in this movie. It is played for shock as well as humor at the exact same time. You will be repulsed and laughing both at the same moment. There's one thing, if you remember in the first movie, when he cuts off his hand and grows a new baby hand, Mm -hmm. there's a scene where Deadpool has to regrow his lower half. And it is so funny, the result of that injury.
1: A gag like that is you have to shoot the upper half and then you hand the ha- have to hand it off to, to CG. So that's one of those things where that's not terribly spontaneous. That's something you boarded. That's something you right. work out with your effects people, You, you yeah. know the practical stuff on set. But you know what fascinated me about Deadpool 2 is that the writers, Brett Reese and, and Paul Wernick, were talking about how when it came to the actual jokes in the script, mm-hmm. they were still tweaking them? Yeah. Three weeks out from a release, mm-hmm. one of the advantages of having a character that's wearing a mask <laughs> right. you know, for ninety percent of the film is you don't have to worry about lip nope. sync. You can just you can dub you know, in the new in, line in post. You can drop in. Oh, I came up with a better yeah show. yeah. I, and so they kept punching and punching and punching the film right up until release. And But here's the thing, and again, I I, I know we just told that wonderful story, but, oh, Disney's okay. They're going to, okay, this R-rated series of Marvel things. And But here's the thing. Evidently, at one point, there was a Disney joke in this movie that was so foul mm-hmm. that it, Fox, you know, because remember, they, they haven't finished the acquisition right. yet. You know, it was actually the executives at Fox who stepped in. And said, if we ask nice, can you take the Disney joke out? I mean, you can have everything else. You can have the the baby legs. You can can have the guy who dissolves. You can have it all. Just can you take the Disney joke out? Here's the
0: one difference. I understand Fox wanting to take it out because there's a lot of money at stake for them in a business transaction. So that's perfectly understandable. Mm -hmm. And I don't fault them for trying to protect their business. That's smart, right? Mm -hmm. However, if Disney owned that property at that moment... I would hope mm-hmm. that they would let that joke fly.
1: I would hope so too. In fact, I have to tell you, it's now my life's goal to find out what
0: this joke uh, was. Ah, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. So I'm, that will be you know, a special I'm, episode I, I, when that day
1: comes. Yes, I, I'm, I'm releasing the hounds. All <laughs> cool. right. If I find out what it is, we'll share okay, it here. But, can't wait. but anyway, I have to ask we've known from the, from the very first test. And this is a film that constantly breaks the fourth mm-hmm. wall. But It still played enormously entertaining in spite of the fact that it's like, you know, this is just a movie, right? right? You know, just sort of like, what was your favorite part? I mean, I know you, prior to the show, you were talking about the amazing Domino's.
0: Yeah. Domino is fantastic. And there's kind of a reason why she stands out, but we're going to avoid spoiler territory and just kind of leave that off by the side of the road. But Domino by herself is spectacular beyond that. Some other people may be wanting some more from other X-Force members and they do some trickery again, similar to the way Avengers did. There are things that they show you in the trailer that are not how they appear in the movie. And they were perfectly aware that they were kind of punking their audience when they cut this extra footage for the commercials, because it sets up an expectation. And then when you get to the movie, there's something other than that expectation that is delivered. The thing is, I really appreciate that because so many movie trailers are the money shots of the film all broken up and out of context with a lot of loud noises and over dramatic score and whatnot. And with Deadpool's advertising, it's almost like every commercial is a little one-minute movie made for it because it's just Ryan Reynolds on a set in a mask making jokes about Wolverine or whatever. And that's not in the movie at all. And I don't expect it to be in the movie. But getting to see that little bit of commercial is perfectly Deadpool in tone. And so it's just like a little extra bonus for me. So all of their advertising, I've really appreciated the fact that they're not just showing clips from the movie that they'll actually put Ryan in a costume or somebody in a costume and have Ryan overdub, you know, the lines or whatever and do all this extra stuff to make it more Deadpool. I really appreciate that from the advertising perspective entirely.
1: Cool well, speaking of what you have, you seen the final theatrical poster Literally, the catchphrase at the top of the poster is from the studio that killed Wolverine. Yeah. This is such a benign way to describe Deadpool and half the fun of Deadpool and Deadpool 2 is how foul and violent it is. But it's almost like this film is sorbet. Yep. This great palate cleanser after all of this earnest superhero movie stuff exactly. to see this film. Though I love how, for example, they built on the riff from the first movie where... Deadpool went to Professor Xavier's school Mm -hmm. and it's like they wouldn't allow him in the building and it's like it's like there's only three Avengers who live here and I love how they built on that joke for this movie. And the other
0: joke from the first movie of when he left his apartment with his roommate he said that there's two pounds of cocaine and a cure for blindness hidden somewhere in the apartment. Good luck finding it. And then in the second movie, he comes back and it is shown that indeed there is somewhere in the apartment, two pounds of cocaine and the cure for blindness in a briefcase somewhere. And I just love that they brought back that joke out of nowhere. And if you didn't see the first movie, you won't catch it. But it's like it's in the shot. and, And I was like, oh, my God, thank you for continuity across films. That's brilliant. You don't even have to waste dialogue lines on that joke. It's a visual, and if you catch it, great. If not, moving
1: on. Now, speaking of which, though, I have to ask, given how many cameos there are in this movie, and there are a great many cameos, do you feel like somebody who's a starting Marvel fan is... This is kind of a movie that drops you in the deep end of Marvel. There's a lot of stuff that flies by that is significant or fun or characters that you know i mean jokes and
0: references to other movies within and without the cinematic universe of marvel whether it be fox property or proper mcu property there's jokes for both and Mm -hmm. yeah so you do have to be kind of aware of all of the surrounding fluff in the air that they're referencing Mm -hmm. to for those jokes to land for you so yeah if you've never seen a marvel movie. 30% 30% of the jokes may make no sense to you whatsoever, but everyone around you is laughing hysterically for some reason.
1: Mm-hmm. Got it. How bizarre is it that we have these two amazing performances by James. Brown? Oh, yeah. I love what he did with Thanos, but Cable is just, I, I love what he does. You know, with what's
0: this. kind of funny is that with Thanos and even considering that it's a lot of motion capture, is work is being done in this. The thing that really worked about Thanos was the nuance in his performance. It wasn't over the top crazy. It was most of the time very subtle character work that he was doing. I was amazed that they could even capture that nuance with the mocap that they had. It was really incredible. And then you look at him playing Cable in Deadpool 2 and he is like a brute force to be wrecked. He's like a hurricane that just knocks stuff down and he's ripped, and he looks mean and angry, and he uses very, very naughty, naughty words a lot mm-hmm. of the time. So, yeah, I mean, he's just a a force in that movie, and I really, really enjoyed his performance in in both circumstances, but they're very different from one another in the way that he approached them.
1: There are some aspects of, of this movie you have a teeny bit of a problem with. I mean, for example... That that's it. <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing If it is
0: the joke To be a bad joke How angry can you be with it? Because it's like the whole "Orange glad I didn't say banana joke You know, after the first time you've heard it You know, I get it I don't need <laughs> to hear it again So this whole gag Is Deadpool doing The worst Acted death scene The longest Most dramatic pointless death scene in Hollywood history and if it's supposed to be long and drag and feel like it's taking forever you know then it does it feels like it's taking forever and you're like oh god just get on with it already but that is kind of the joke that they're going with so I have to forgive them for it but man just die already is what most people are saying by that point (laughs) so do you count against it for that being the joke of just being annoying and long
1: no you know to be honest i enjoyed the fact that just having the guts to do the joke and then i mean the orange joke is the perfect example because again the only way that joke is funny is if you do it too often. You you literally have to go, you know, round the horn for it to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Again. And so the, the whole notion of what makes a too long death scene funny is going is, too, long. too long. You know, <laughs> yeah. and you just you have to have the guts to keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly.
0: It is what it is. It's it did its job exactly the way it was supposed to. Then that leads to the end credits stuff.
1: Oh, God, yes. Should we talk about this? Because half the fun... You
0: know what? Here, I I got a perfect solution. We had a listener comment months ago that wanted Mm -hmm. to ask a very specific question about, hey, why is it that nobody mentions the fact that Ryan Reynolds played Deadpool in Wolverine Origins and they sewed his mouth shut, and now he's playing Deadpool in Deadpool 1 and 2, and nobody is really making that connection to... Why is he here and also there and totally different? You know, they're totally not addressing that. And so in the first Deadpool, they do take a crack or two at the other version of Deadpool from Origins. So in this one, in the end credit scenes, they address it one more final time. I think that's the best (laughs) way I can phrase that.
1: Okay, and not to give away the other gag, but did you see that Warner Brothers Entertainment tweeted out to Ryan after the opening weekend of Deadpool Two? In effect, Mr. Reynolds, I'm afraid we're going to need back that ring.
0: Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. (laughs) Getting back to why I thought, you know, if, if Disney owned the company, they should let the the Disney joke fly through. And it's the exact same reason that there is a joke in the end credit scene that references Ryan Reynolds himself as an actor. And it's that being able to make fun of yourself, the beauty of that is you really can't offend other people. If you make a joke about another person, are you referencing their culture? And there can be offense speculated from all different directions based on what you said about someone else. But when you point the finger at yourself and you say, look at me, aren't I a a donkey? (laughs) Nobody can really get offended by that. You know, the self-referential humor is always great to use. And that's one of the reasons why I like Ryan Reynolds is because he can make the biggest ass of himself, but yet still be charming as heck all the time that he's doing it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I've enjoyed his work from as far back as two guys, a girl in a pizza place. Right. And that he rolled the dice in the way he did with Deadpool. A lot of people, if they had released that test between, kind you know, that's Marvel's intellectual property and this is a film that Fox was considering making, and to take that chance, to put this test out in 2014 and understand that you're all over mm-hmm. it, as you mentioned, that only four people on the planet could have put this right. thing out there. And, and Ryan was probably in the mix. <laughs> he was. To take that chance and to have people have embraced his vision for Deadpool. Mm-hmm that's half the delight for me that there's this character out there now and he's doing what he's doing to the marvel cinematic universe which is opening the doors and letting some fresh air in and now the challenge is is bob Iger as good as his word are we in fact going to see the Walt Disney Company seriously embraced the idea of R-rated Marvel films because the very last R-rated movie that the Walt Disney Company released was back in 2013. It was The Fifth Estate. The Julian Science story, and and to be honest, the only reason Disney released it is it had been made by DreamWorks mm-hmm. and they had a contract at that point. That, you know, they had to release whatever DreamWorks had made for its live-action division. Right. Five years since we've seen an R come out from Disney. So Here's the
0: thing. I mean, they have to consciously be aware that other money exists in the world that isn't PG money. Our movies can make money if done well. It's always about telling the story correctly. So the thing with Ryan Reynolds is he was a fan and he knew what a Deadpool movie should be, you know, just like the fans knew what it should be. The Fox executives had no clue, which is why they sewed his mouth shut in Origins. That's how tone deaf they were to what that character was supposed to be. And that's Fox's blunder of not knowing how to handle the property because they weren't personally connected to it. The difference is Disney has Marvel and Marvel people making Marvel movies, they're directly connected to it. They understand their history. They understand their characters. They understand how they work. So someone like Bob Iger has to understand on, on that business level, if done properly, anything can make money, no matter what the rating. And if it's true to the character and the fans embrace it, that's really all you need because, Fans are they preach the gospel, you know, to all the other nerds. You got to go see this movie. It's great. They're the ones that are actively doing the word of mouth more than your average street going viewer. Like earlier, you said in the show, those four movies that were in the top 10 were globally. That was $6 billion off of four movies. And they know that Fox only spent 50 million and got this huge return back on Deadpool. So it doesn't take a a lot. They don't have to invest the world into it like they would Avengers Infinity War. It doesn't have that cast. The reason it works is because they have no budget. And that's what the jokes are about. You know, Disney people are smart enough that it doesn't have to be PG money. It has to be content done right to the character, to the core and the spirit of the character. And that was what Ryan brought to Deadpool, and that's what Marvel brings to the MCU. And when they all get back together, it'll be peanut butter and jelly happy time.
1: Well, here's hoping. I do know that just over the past two days, Ryan, who I guess ahead of the release of Deadpool 2, was, you know, "Eh, this may be the last time I do the character. But given the response and given how this is embraced, he's he's already talking about 3, so he's on board. Mm -hmm. The question now is... Will the Walt Disney Company, once it, it does, in fact, have the Fox film and television assets, which, remember, isn't necessarily a done deal because Comcast, between the last time you and I recorded, Aaron, made yet another run at these same assets yeah. and, in fact, was making a cash offer. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how this ultimately plays out. So. Right. That's it for this edition of the Marvel Us Disney Podcast. Please come back for our first show in June. That's when Aaron and I will be taking a closer look at Legion, that great Marvel TV series over at FX. Uh, Just in case you hadn't heard, the second season of Legion has been doing so well that FX decided to expand it, uh, bumping it out from 10 episodes to 12, which is why the season 2 finale of Legion is now going to air on June 12th and as long as you're marking your calendar uh, please note that again on our next Marvelous Disney podcast Aaron and I also I will also be talking about Cloak and Dagger and that's the highly anticipated Marvel television production that's coming from ABC Signature Studios I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it, Signature Studios differs from plain old ABC Studios but either way Cloak and Dagger gets underway on Freeform on June 7th of this everything year. on Signature is written in cursive <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that cursive fits in with the potty mouth of the Deadpool 2 so anyway alright it's, it's all linked together folks anyway this is Jim Hill and for Aaron Adams and myself thanks for listening